Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Please take your Bible and turn with me in the book of John. We're going to continue eavesdropping today on a conversation that Jesus was having with the Apostle Peter on the shore of the Sea of Galilee sometime between the second Sunday when he appeared to his apostles and an assortment of other followers of his on a Sunday. We don't know exactly when we can set this encounter that Jesus had. He took the initiative in the encounter because you will recall that Peter and six of his buddies were on the Sea of Galilee and they'd fished all night and had come up empty. And as they were getting ready to discontinue their fishing expedition, the sun was barely rising and there was some figure on the beach. And that figure we came to discover was none other than Jesus himself. And Jesus had prepared a breakfast for these men. And Jesus asked them before they got to shore, how about your fishing expedition? And the answer was, well, sir, we didn't come up with any fish. Jesus said, throw your net on the starboard side of the boat. They did it and miraculously they had a haul of 153 fish. Now that sounds like a fisherman's story if there ever was one, doesn't it? Well, it is a fisherman's story, but it's a story that actually happened. It was Christ's way of affirming these men who to a man, all seven of them, had abandoned Jesus just a few weeks earlier. They had all vowed that they would not turn their back on the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what. Famous last words. Perhaps you're here today, and you had made such a vow to Christ before, but you have turned your back on Him, and you don't believe that He could ever receive you back to Himself. Well, think again. Jesus Christ is ready to receive you if you are ready to receive Him today. And we're going to learn from Jesus' interaction with Peter and John to a lesser degree just how much He cares for us and how there is nothing that hinders Him from saving, whether by many or by few. And He delights in coming and ministering to us especially when we have found ourselves estranged from Him. When we have abandoned Him and denied Him as Peter and his friends had done. So we're going to pick up at verse 18, and I'm going to comment on this passage as we work our way through the 23rd verse today. Let's begin with verse 18. Jesus is speaking to Peter. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself 
and walk wherever you wished. Let me interrupt Jesus for just a moment. He's saying that Paul, Peter rather, is not a youngster anymore. We don't know exactly how old he was, probably in his late 20s into his early 30s. It was unusual, if not almost always the case, that when a rabbi, I remember Jesus was a rabbi, and rabbi simply means my teacher, but a rabbi would not gather men who were his own age or older. Younger men were those who were called to follow a rabbi. We know Jesus' age was 33, so Peter was somewhere under the age of 33. And when he was younger, and at this moment, he did what? He made a habit of dressing himself, and he also walked wherever he wanted to go. But notice what Jesus predicts about this man, Peter. He says, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will gird you, that means dress you, and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now think with me a moment. He says, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. What in the world is he talking about? Well, what we know is that historians tell us, Eusebius, who was the first great historian of the church history, he tells the story about the death of the apostle Peter. And Peter was under great duress. He was the leader of the church at Rome, and sentiment against him had grown and grown and grown to the point that Nero had issued a warrant for his arrest. And it would surely result in his being crucified like Christ had. Through the urging of the church there, so the historians tell us, Peter was leaving Rome. As he was fleeing Rome, on the outskirts of that great city, he encountered the risen Christ yet another time. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? And he says, I'm going into Rome. And may I ask, Lord, what are you planning to do when you get there? And he said, I'm going to be crucified. And Peter said, again, Lord? He said, yes. And then it occurred to Peter that it was for him that Christ was going to be crucified again. And so as the story is told by Peter and the historians have picked it up, he turned around and he said, no, Lord, I will go back and face your destiny for me. And when he went back and he was arrested as was anticipated, he was sentenced to be crucified. He did, however, have an interesting request of his executioners. It was that he not be crucified as Jesus was, but with his head down instead of head up. So as not to curry any more adulation of him than Jesus received. And when anyone, we saw this when we talked about the crucifixion of our Lord, when anyone was about to be crucified, there would be a certain protocol that would be followed. And the last thing that the individual would do before going from the place of judgment to the place of execution was to be handed the crossbar 
of the cross. It was called the patibulum, a rather heavy piece of wood, sturdy, and it was that piece that the hands of the individual would be nailed to the tree. So when he says, you will stretch out your hands, somebody's going to help you to do this in this case, and someone's going to dress you, you won't be able to dress yourself when it comes to that time for your dying, and you're not going to be able even to do anything except submit to the execution. So we see here, Jesus is talking about that situation. And obviously, he didn't want to go to die. Would you have wanted to go to die on a cross, having seen the awfulness and the hideousness of that kind of execution? Well, let's look at verse 19. Now this Jesus said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. Glorify God in death. Peter did glorify the Lord evidently in his death. It had been predicted, prophesied, if you will, by the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's stop here and talk about our own mortality. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and after that to face the judgment. One thing we have in common is all of us, we're going to die. Now, I'm not trying to be morbid today or try to frighten you in any way, but it's some, something we need to consider together. And we who know Jesus especially, I know it's true in my heart. I think it is. At least it remains to be seen. You can tell what others what you're going to do when it comes to the moment of your death, but the reality is you won't know what you're going to do. Remember, these guys who were followers of Christ, they had boasted big time about how they were going to walk with Christ even to the point of death. But what we need to know is the Lord will empower us to glorify Him. What does it mean to glorify the Lord? Well, it means to honor Him. It means to worship Him. It means to properly represent Him the one whom we have called our Lord and Master, the one who we have bet our lives on, as it were, by trusting in Him alone for our eternal life. But we have this opportunity to be like Peter. God forbid that you or I would have to face the kind of hideous death that Peter faced. But nevertheless, remember the other apostles, with the exception of one, of the eleven, after the defection of Judas, all eleven of them, with the exception of John. So it would, minus one, ten, they all died a martyr's death and glorified God in so doing. Years ago, there was a man in our church. He was a very godly man. He was professor of chemistry, biochemistry to be exact, at UTEP. For many years, his name, Gordy Robertstad, he and his wife, Jan, saw their mission field as the university campus. And they just didn't pay lip service to that vision. In fact, they were people who opened their home almost weekly to have foreign exchange students, as we would have called them then, to come to their home. And they would come and they would 
have a potluck meal, and it was like a home away from home for these students who had come from countries outside the United States. They would play board games, and religion became part of their discussion course. Many of them had other kinds of backgrounds besides Christianity, and some had no background, but it was there that they came face to face with Jesus Christ through the ministry and love that they experienced through Jan and Gordon Robertstead. No telling how many people came to faith and then went back in many cases to their own homeland and were ministers to other people. Not ministers in the sense that we typically think of a minister remembering as we read from 1 Corinthians 12 earlier today that every one of us has a ministry if we know Jesus. You may not know what it is. Well, begin to dig into the book of 1 Corinthians and you'll begin to understand what it might be. We have all been called to a royal priesthood is what the Bible says, and God wants all of us to minister. Back to where I digressed from. And Gordy, when he was in his early 90s, developed pneumonia, and I went to see him in the intensive care unit at Las Palmas Hospital. I'll never forget it. And I went into his room. He greeted me with a very warm welcome as he always did. But there was consternation in his soul. He was saying to me, Mike, I don't know how to do this. And I thought, what's he saying? Do what? And then it became clear as I listened a little longer, he was saying, I don't know how to die. That'd be true of all of us, right? We've never died, but we're going to. So how do you do it? Well. I didn't have much of an answer for him there except to encourage him because I knew he had a genuine faith in the Lord and Christ's promise would not be broken to him any more than it would be to anybody else. But he needed some reassurance that day. And what we need to understand is Christ came to save us from our sins. But also, among other things, the Bible says, O oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And you know what? When I was a boy, some of you might have done this. Probably not. I mean, I'm older than most people here. But in my neighborhood, we didn't have television when I was a boy. So we played outside all the time in summer. And we would just wear our shorts. I'm not talking about our underwear. We had them on, of course. But we had shorts. And we just ran bare-chested, bare-legged, barefooted in our area. And we had a lot of clover. There was no Bermuda grass or St. Augustine grass or whatever grass we think is the best kind of grass. We just ran through there. And inevitably, almost every day, one of us would get stung by stepping on a honeybee. And that hurt like crazy. One time I, I know you're interested in my life, okay, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> but one day I got stung twice in the same day on the same foot. And my foot swelled up immensely. But what we would do, it was payback to me and some of the other boys. Why? We would catch these bees in a fruit jar and we'd punch holes with a pick in the top so they wouldn't suffocate. And then we would do some kind of torture to these little critters. 
What we do, we put water on their wings so they couldn't fly, and we were very careful to pick them up, and then we'd take a leather belt and put it to the back end of that honeybee, and it would sting it. And the bees died after that, actually. But this is exactly what happened on the cross. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm getting back to Jesus, okay. <laughs> this is exactly what Jesus did. He took the sting of death, the sting of sin. Do you know that Jesus Christ cared that much about you to die for you? Not just a general death, a specific death, so that you would not have to die the second death the Bible talks about. To be abandoned by God. To be banished to what the Bible calls hell for eternity. But Jesus did that for you. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. What is that all about? It's about the Ten Commandments and assorted other commandments. Do you know that according to the law, that you have to keep all the law, if you're banking on being good enough to get into heaven on your own merit, you have to... Completely obey every rule that God has. And not just a little bit, completely. But you know, that's why Christ had to come, isn't it? Because He did it all. He said that He had done every jot and tittle to the finest detail of keeping the law. Why? So He could save you from your sin. He could save me from our sin. Death should scare us were it not for the person of Jesus. And we can glorify God as we move through life. Some of us are moving rather rapidly now. Time does go faster, doesn't it, you seniors? Much so, more so than it did when we were in our 20s and 30s and even 40s, even 50s. I mean, it's just rapidly moving, isn't it? Well, we need to be ready, not just seniors, young people. There's never a time when we should not be preparing, not worried. Christ takes all the worry away when we trust in Him and believe that what He says is true. Where He says, if you believe in Me, you give Me control of your life, then I will make sure you will never be forsaken. You will never be left bereft of my protection. What a Savior we have. And we can glorify Him in our death as we move forward with that confidence. In the second part of verse 19, and when He had spoken this, He said to him, follow me. That should ring a bell. Is this the first time that we have heard Jesus say to us through what He said, through His apostles as they wrote about His life, follow me. And by the way, this command means follow me, not just one time, but make following me the actual modus operandi 
of your life. Follow me day in and day out. Follow me. Keep on following me, he said to him. When he first encountered Peter, remember Peter was on the shore of the Sea of Galilee where he made his living. He had a fisherman's business. And he said to him, he found him with his brother, perhaps even James and John, they had a little fishing business. And they were mending their nets. And he said, come, follow me. Follow me. And so we see after the resurrection of Christ, he's saying, follow me. Look at what Peter did in verse 20. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. John, the Bapt John, not the Baptist, but John, the son of Zebedee, he was already following Jesus, wasn't he? He was. He was steadfast. And that's what defines whether we love Jesus or not. Are we following him? Are we doing as he would have us to do by imitating him and trusting him in our lives? Well, why do you suppose Peter turned around? Well, look what he said. This gives us insight. The one who also had leaned back on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Speaking of John, you may remember in the 13th chapter of John where we encountered that at the Last Supper and how John had that position of favor and he was asked by Peter. Peter said, ask the master who it is. And he leaned back to Jesus and then Jesus gestured toward Judas, you'll recall that. Now look at verse 21. Peter therefore seeing him, this would be John, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? Wow, what's going on in Peter's mind? Here he is, he's been contrite. When he, Jesus has spoken to him, he's feeling the pain still lingering from his having denied Jesus. But now he's with Jesus. Jesus has just given him a simple order. Follow me. And then what's he doing? He's concerned about John. What's that all about? You may remember that John was the first person to get to the tomb after Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene noticed that the empty tomb was there and was concerned, so she made a beeline to talk to Peter and John, and they immediately came to the place of the burial of Jesus and got there and found the tomb empty. But John got there first. When Jesus, we saw this too, when Jesus was arrested, he was taken to the house of Caiaphas, who was the high priest of Israel, and Peter got access to the courtyard of that place where the trial of Christ was occurring. It must have been a, a big building because there were 71 people who were sitting, or at least potentially that many people, sitting in judgment of Christ. But how did he get in the door? Well, we know he walked through the door, but it was John who was already there who made it possible for him to get into the door. There are three other things I could mention, but in the interest of time, we're going forward here. John was seen to always be there, and he always 
beat Peter there. Now, stop with me a minute. I'm going to talk to the men now. I'm not talking to the women right now. Okay, guys. Is it true, at least at some time in your life, where you just had to win? You had to be best. It's something about being a male that tends to push us in that direction. And Peter was jealous of John. There's no room for jealousy in the heart of a Christian man or woman. If we understand the grace of God, and we understand that the Lord gives us each a unique assignment in His family. This is why I ask that we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It talks about there are many gifts. There are many ministries. There are many effects. The same Spirit gives us the gifts. The same Spirit gives us our ministry. The same Spirit produces results, fruit through us. And in this section of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, we read where the Bible says, when one part of the body of Christ, remembering that Paul chooses that figure of speech to describe the church, it's a, a very apt illustration, isn't it? And how in the human body, the least part can create quite, quite a problem for you or for me and therefore for the church. So what we know is that all of us, just like Peter and John, they were different, weren't they? Different gifts, different temperaments. Peter was very impetuous, impulsive. He didn't do much. If a thought came into his mind, he acted just like that. There's something to be admired about a person who's always ready to be doing what he believes he or she is to do in following the Lord Jesus Christ. John was more reserved, more retiring. It's generally agreed that the Gospel of Mark really is the Gospel of Peter. Peter and Mark were relatives. Peter was a rough fisherman. He's described actually as being uneducated by the Sanhedrin when they brought him and John into their presence to scold them and tell them to shut their mouths and quit talking about Christ. But what we do know is that he had a story to tell. I don't know if you've ever noticed when you've read the Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest of the four Gospels. And a word keeps popping up immediately, 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 immediately. In other words, something happened, then it was over, and immediately Jesus is going somewhere else. That was the way that Peter observed what was going on. Peter was a man who was very, very impulsive. John wasn't. John's gospel is different, isn't it? We're just about to finish it. I know there's more than one person who's happy that that's about to happen. I'm not personally because it's such a rich book, but there are others to follow, we know that. But John was more retiring, but had he always been that way? What do you know about John 
and he had a brother, probably the older brother, James, because James comes before John when the writers are speaking of the, those brothers, the sons of Zebedee. And this is what we know. Jesus sent out the apostles and other disciples. There were 70 or 72, depending upon the translation, that went out and they were told to go two by two and go into villages, some of which were in Samaria, which other prophets would never go to for fear of being contaminated and unable to be ritually clean by rubbing shoulders with these pagans, the Samaritans. They came back with glowing reports. And John and James came back and they told Jesus, the Samaritan villages, they just flat out turned us away. They didn't want anything to do with us because we're Jews. And then they said, well, do you want us to go back and wreak havoc on them, Lord? And then the Bible says that the names that these two brothers went by translated into English, sons of thunder. They were ready to rumble, weren't they? But something happened to John. What do you think it was? He changed. What caused him to change? Well, Christ came to indwell him. And when Christ comes into a person's heart, he does not change the basic temperament of the person. He just makes the person more like Christ in the way the person thinks, speaks, and acts. Nobody is perfect who comes to Jesus, but Christ begins to restore the image of God that has been damaged by sin in that life. And we begin to take on a different heart and consequently behavior. So we have these two. Peter is jealous and men, I should have said this and I think it's inherent in what I mentioned earlier. We're competitive, aren't we? We compare ourselves to one another and in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, the Bible says we're fools, men or women for that matter. We're fools to compare ourselves. Because why? God has given each of us Himself in the person of Jesus Christ. He's given us full forgiveness. Everything is equal in that regard. And if you have a spiritual gift, use it to the glory of God. And don't worry if you don't have an upfront gift, you have a behind the scenes gift. Don't worry. Just serve the Lord with gladness and be happy that He has saved you from your sin and given you a place in his family. Look at verse 22. Jesus responds to the question which Peter asked, Lord, and what about this man? Jesus says, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? In other words, mind your business, Peter. You've got enough to say grace over just to be who I want you to be. Don't worry about somebody else. There's a message for me in that and you too. And then he says something he's already said. You follow me. However, do you notice the introduction of one word that's absent in the earlier command to follow? You, Peter, follow me. I can sense that Jesus would have been rather stern in his demeanor and in his voice and how he said that. Don't worry about John. I'll take care of John. 
You do what I tell you to do. Keep on following me. Verse 23 says, This saying, therefore, went out among the brothers that that disciple would not die. In other words, John would not die. That's how rumors get started, isn't it? Have you ever played that game where you're in a circle and you start with one piece of information, you got maybe eight or ten people, and you whisper it into the ear, and by the time it gets back around to the person who's monitoring that little game, it doesn't even seem remotely like what it initially was. Don't be a rumor monger. That's what we would learn from this at least. Don't talk about other people. In the body of Christ, if you're going to talk about somebody else, have something constructive to say, not something that could be misconstrued. Isn't it interesting how even believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, we fall prey to gossip. Isn't it true? And we need to be done with it. The last part of verse 23 says, Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? The word translated remain here is the word that is used repeatedly in the 15th chapter of John, where Jesus says, I am the branches, you are the vine. He who abides in me, it's the identical word in the original language, he who remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We saw that in that whole section, beautiful section, the first 16 or 17 verses of John 15. If we were able to really internalize the truths there, our lives would be massively used by God. And it's something within our grasp. If we understand we can't do it by ourselves, we have to yield fully to the Lord and let Him do through us what He means to. If I want him to abide until I come, what's that to you? What is this whole matter about until I come? I think the logical conclusion we could reach, he's talking about when he comes again. I hope you know that Jesus, when he was on earth talking about the second coming of himself, he said, I don't even know the day or the hour when I'm coming. Now, do you think Jesus knows now when He's coming? Well, of course. He's free of any encumbrance of humanity, remembering that Jesus was God fully in heaven before He became one of us. He retained His deity throughout the entirety of His 33 or so years here on earth. However, when it came to exercising his rights as a human, he deferred to the Father in everything. We have seen this on more than one occasion in the Gospel of John. Just look at John 8, 28 for an example. And then look at John 5, 19 and John 5, 30. And what we will discover if we were to take time to look at it, that Jesus never said anything except having first heard the Father say it. Glance back up again to verse 18. Jesus begins, truly, truly. Amen, amen. Amen, amen. And that was a way of saying, 
I confirm, I confirm. I agree, I agree. I know this is important, Father. And some have suggested, and I tend to agree with them, is that Jesus is in a conversation, remember, with the Father. And the Father speaks to him. And then Jesus says what he is supposed to say. So Jesus is hearing from the Father whenever he says truly, truly, and not just then. Anytime he speaks, he would only speak that which the Father had given him to speak. God the Father is not a ventriloquist. Jesus was not a puppet or marionette. Jesus was human. He was a man who had a free will, but he chose to submit himself. And in so doing, what did he do? He honored the Father and did the Father's will. And also, look, we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who cannot identify with us as humans. He was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Jesus became one of us. He wanted to know what it was like to be human and to sense the difficulty of being human. What it would be like to be tempted to sin. He had to do that. That was part of his becoming one of us and being the one who could save us from our sins. So Jesus says, if I want John, the apostle, to remain until I come, what is that to you? Do you know? Look at verse 24 just for a moment. This is the disciple who bears witness of these things and wrote these things, and we know that witness is true. This is someone perhaps writing an epilogue here besides John. We don't know that for sure, but it's possible. And he's the disciple who bears witness of all this eyewitness. And what we know about John is even today, you think about it, this morning, John has spoken to us this morning. Actually, it's not John, it's the Holy Spirit who moved in John, just like the Holy Spirit according to the book of 2 Peter chapter 1, 20 and 21, as the wind would move a sailing vessel across the Mediterranean Sea. So the Holy Spirit come, came and he moved in the hearts of the biblical writers. But John is one who was used for my, by God and he's still used by the Lord today. We read from the 29th Psalm and it talks about the voice of the Lord. How do we hear his voice? We hear it through His Word. And the Holy Spirit of God speaks to our hearts. I'm sure He's spoken to more than one person here today. He's spoken to my heart. Second time I've taught this, He's said things to my heart, my mind I didn't even think about. But thank God that He loves us. Jesus loved Peter despite Peter's failure. Jesus loved John, and John was not perfect. There is no one perfect. No, not one. We all need Jesus, don't we? And we see this intimate communication between Jesus and Peter. Follow me. Do you know that's what Christ says to us today? 
He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself. That's to say no to your own selfish desires. That's what you, the first step. You're sick and tired of your poor decision making. You're tired of trying to fight through this life, making sense out of it. What you need is what I need and everyone else needs. We need to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And we have to say no to ourselves, deny ourselves. The word which Jesus uses, the identical word that's used by all the New Testament writers to describe Peter's denial. Peter said about Jesus, I never knew the man. I denied him. We have to say that about, I have to say that about Mike Woods. I deny Mike Woods. And take up your cross daily what Jesus says. That means die to yourself. Be willing to follow the Lord. Cast caution to the wind and follow Him. And then finally, follow me. Are you following Christ? If not, why not? The only thing that stands before you, between you and following Christ is your own will. And the Lord wants you to submit your will to Christ. And your life will be radically improved and you will be a man or a woman who is used by God to glorify Him in life and death. Lord, we thank You for this opportunity to be here together in this place. Thank You for our having worshipped You together. And I pray, Lord, that You'd help me and everyone here to take these truths and apply them to our lives so that we could be men and women who do honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.